Hello, and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. Hey, as a church, we are walking through the book of Ephesians. We're just about done. What I thought was going to be an eight-week series is now um, stretching into five months, and uh, I'm loving it. I hope you guys are loving this as well. It's been great for me. Today we're going to pick up in Ephesians chapter 5, verse um, 15. And verse 15 through 20 really begins to challenge Christians about their walk. Um, And kind of a big idea today is about wisdom. We've got to walk with wisdom. Um, Automaker Henry Ford um, asked an electrical genius by the name of Charlie Steinmetz to build generators for his factory. One day, these generators that Steinmetz had built ground to a halt. And so the regular repairman for Henry Ford tried to repair those generators to uh, no avail. He couldn't get it done. So Ford called Steinmetz, the guy who installed the generators, and he tinkered with them for just a couple of hours through the switch. The generators are are steaming once again and, um, and doing everything he needs it to do. Um, Once they got up and running, Steinmetz handed Henry Ford a bill for $10,000. Henry Ford, I didn't know this, was really, they said, a tight-fisted man. And he grew angry when he handed him that bill. And he asked Steinmetz, why this bill for $10,000? He said, well, to tinker with the generator, $10. Because I knew where to tinker, $10,000. Wisdom. How do you know we need some wisdom in life? Henry Ford paid that bill. Wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, they are priceless commodities. When Solomon was young, he became a king. And Solomon asked God for wisdom. Could have had, in essence, anything he wanted. And he asked God for wisdom. And God gave him wisdom. But not only did he give him wisdom, he gave him great wealth. And great honor, and we can see that in the book of Kings. The Bible remembers King Solomon as the wisest king to ever live. Wisdom should be the goal of every single one of us living and breathing today. Solomon told us, get wisdom, get understanding, even if it costs you your life. And so here we see Paul in Ephesians chapter 5 begin to talk to us about wisdom. And he says in verse 15, so be careful how you live. Another translation says, be careful how you walk. Don't live, or again, don't walk like ignorant people. Another translation says foolish people, but like wise people. This word carefully, be careful how you live. This word careful means to look at something intentionally with your eyes, to study it, and to try to figure it out. So what is Paul telling us here in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, to look carefully at? Our lives. Our walk. Look carefully how you live. Look at it. Pay attention to how you live, to how you walk. Use wisdom. The ignorant person that Paul speaks of in verse 15 isn't somebody that's intellectually impaired. It's not talking about somebody who is untrained. It's not talking about somebody who's unschooled. It's talking about somebody who doesn't know the ways of the Lord. 
It's saying don't be like them. It's, it's not saying, it has nothing to do with education here. It's talking about somebody that understands the ways and the, way, and the wisdom of God. Matthew 7, 24 says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. Listen, wisdom isn't only knowing the word. Wisdom is living out the word. Wisdom is building your life on the foundation that is Jesus and using that. That is wisdom. It's not wisdom to just say, yeah, I know the word, but we don't apply it. That's who Paul is talking about here. Don't be ignorant. Don't be like the people who maybe know it, but don't live it out. No, your job, your responsibility as believers is to find wisdom and then to build your house on it. Make that your firm foundation. Wisdom in the Bible is not about IQ. And some of us said, amen, hallelujah, you know. Biblical wisdom refers to moral discernment. The God-given ability to apply the principles that God gives us in the word to our lives. It's actually, when you really begin to dig down the wisdom that the Bible speaks about, listen to me, it really is dealing with more of obedience than it is intelligence. He said again, when you really boil down biblical wisdom, it deals more with obedience than it does intelligence. A wise person obeys God's instructions. Proverbs 4, 5 through 7, one of my favorite uh, sets of verses in the Bible. Get wisdom. Develop good judgment. Don't forget my words or turn away from them. Don't turn your back on wisdom, for she will protect you. Love her, and she will guard you. But listen to this line right here. Getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do. Don't live, Paul said, as the unwise, but live as the wise. Solomon in Proverbs chapter 4 says, getting wisdom is the wisest thing that you can do. Do. James 1, 15. Some of you are in the room say, Pastor Chad, I don't have this wisdom. What's it tell us? If anyone longs to be wise, ask God for wisdom and he will give it to you. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Chad, I'm, I, I'm not biblically wise, ask God. You need wisdom, Pastor Chad. My house is built kind of on unsolid ground. Then ask God, and he will give you wisdom. He says he will. Either, either it's true or it isn't. Ask God for wisdom, James says, and he will give it to you. Listen to me. Don't trick yourself into saying, well, I'll just never be as wise biblically as you are or as this person. No, that's, uh, or, or saying, I'm uneducated, I'll never be wise. Listen to me. Biblical wisdom really has nothing to do with education. I believe, it's, I believe ultimately it's a gift from God, but it's a gift that comes about as we dig into who the Lord is. And the more I dig, and the more I study, and the more I begin to not just read it, but begin to apply His Word to my life, the more I begin to walk in wisdom. Wisdom. It's a gift. It's from God. And here in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 through 20, Paul gives us four areas of our lives that we need to examine if we're going to live wisely. Four areas of our lives that we need to examine if we're going to live wisely. Let's pray. 
Father, I just want to take a minute and just thank you, first of all, for who you are. You're a good God. And like that last song we sang today, that you're fighting for us. God, I think somebody needed to hear that today. You're fighting for us. You're on our side. You have not forgotten us. You will not abandon us. The end is not upon us. It's the beginning. And so, God, I pray that that song and that word even that came forth from Pastor Brandon and Pastor Steve, that you're fighting for us and that we know what's happening in heaven, I pray that that would bring peace into somebody's mind today. And then, God, I pray that you would speak through this word, give me wisdom and give me thought, clarity of thought, God, and direct my words and give us all ears that can hear this word and put it into action. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Let's look at verse 15 again. It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And then Paul goes on to verse 16, and he begins to show us the first area of our life that we need to examine to see if we are living wisely, and that's in the area of our time. Everybody say time. I want you to ask yourself four questions today concerning how... uh, Questions where you're examining your life. The first question I want you to ask yourself Am I using time wisely? Another way we could say it is, am I making the most of my time? Ask yourself that question. Am I making the most of my time? Ephesians 5.16 says, make good use of every single opportunity that you have. Why? Because these are evil days. How many of you would say amen? 16, again, from a different translation, says making the best use of time because the days are evil. Make good use of every opportunity. Make the best use of time. In the world we live in today, everything and everyone wants some of your time. Have you ever realized that? Everything, you you have an eight-hour day job and you work ten. How many of you have a spouse? Raise your hand if you have a spouse in the room. All right, some of you are sitting by one and you still didn't raise your hand. The wise thing to do would have been to raise your hand right there. Just Our spouse demands our time. How many of you have kids? Raise your hand. How many of you know your kids require time of you? How many of you, your kids play sports? Any of you, your kids play sports? How many of you figured out sports requires time? And then try to coach your kids sport. Requires time. How many of you have some bills? How many of you have some bills you have to pay? How many, anybody, have, anybody have some bills you have to pay? How many of you know paying those bills take time? Things, life requires time. If we have friends, how many of you know, how many of you know your church needs time? Right there, we got guys serving in the back. They're giving of their time. We have worship people. They're giving of their time. We got people back in the nursery serving our kids. It takes time. Everywhere we look, time is demanded of us. And here in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul is speaking to the church of Ephesus, who was a culture that really they, they were not very good at managing time. And Paul's saying, hey, you need to manage time better. You need to do better with your time. He's saying, be careful how you live. Maximize the time. Maximize the opportunities. Because here's what I want to tell you today. Life is short. 
And I don't want to say this to scare us in this room today, but James chapter 4 reminds us of something that's very real. Life is but a vapor. We're here for a minute, and then we're gone. And so Paul's telling us you're not guaranteed eternity to, to live on this earth. You're not guaranteed endless number of days. Your life is but a vapor. One of these days you're going to die. What are you going to do with your time? Are you going to make a difference with your time? Are you going to win somebody to the Lord with your time? Are you going to be a better dad, a better friend, a better Christian? What are you going to do with your time? May I ask you a couple of questions? I want to give you kind of some practical thoughts about time. I don't want to just kind of just say, are you doing good with your time? I want to kind of ask you a couple of questions concerning your time. I heard it said, uh, when it comes to making your time, start with a goal. Brandon and I were work talk, even talking a little bit about this last night. But start with a goal and then work your way backwards. Figure out what you want to do and then kind of figure out the steps to get there. So let me ask you a couple of questions. Let me ask you a couple of questions concerning your time. Number one, if we're going to make the most of our time, we need to have a goal. Let me ask you today, and I want you to write that down. I want you to think, do you have a goal? What's your God-given purpose? Do you have a dream in mind? Do you, or are you just kind of just living day to day and taking whatever life throws at you? Or are you saying, no, I've got a goal. I want to I do this. I want to be this. I want to I be a better husband. I want to be a better wife. I want to be a better father. I want to be a better man of God. I, I want to I make the, the high school basketball team. I want to be a great piano player. I want to be a great communicator. I, what, what is it you want to be? One day I want to get married. One day I want to be in a healthy Christian relationship. What I want to challenge you to do is figure out that goal that you have and then even those dreams that God's put in your heart and then work backwards from that. What do I mean? Let's just say you, you say, Pastor Chad, I really want to be a better husband. That's my goal. Okay, listen. You can't just wake up one day and you're a better husband. You have to start intentionally today working on becoming a better husband, a better wife. You set the goal, and then you figure out the steps how to get there. So let me ask you, do you have a goal? You have to work on it. Be intentional. Set boundaries. Another question you have to ask yourself about maximizing our time is this one. What's distracting me from my goals? What's distracting me from my goals? What's keeping me from getting to the place that I want to get to? For me this week, how many of you would say this was you? For me this week, it was the elections. Did that distract anybody? And it was like sitting there, it's like, all right, I'll go to bed at 10. All right, I'll go to bed at 11. All right, I'll go to bed at midnight. Okay, one. All right, I just won't go to bed. All right, I'm going to be in a bad mood tomorrow. All right, the elections are going this way, and now I'm really going to be in a bad mood, or I'm going to be really happy, whatever it is. How many of you would say elections maybe kind of distracted you from maybe some of your goals this week? Anybody? Elections, they distracted me. Well, when I was in college, and Tasha, don't listen, but when I was in college, girls would distract me, you know? It was only to do Bible studies. But anyway, no, people would distract me, and I would sit down to do my homework, you know, and I was like, all right, I'm going to do my homework, and the phone would ring. This was before you had cell phones. My phone would ring in my, in my dorm room and be like, hey, we're going, you know, I remember they always wanted to go spelunking, caving. There was a cave in Ashgrove people would want to go to. Or, hey, we're going to play basketball. Or, hey, we're going to play flag football. Matt, flag football. Matt. 
I'll go play flag football. And today I've labeled it as this, FOMO. I've always had FOMO. Pastor Chad, what's FOMO? Fear of missing out. And that distracts me. And people ask me to do things, and I got something I need to do, but I get distracted. What is distracting you? If you, if you ha- have a goal, but you're not reaching that goal, you need to ask yourself, what's distracting me? Is it social media? Is it friends? Is it television? Is it work? If you say, what do you mean by how could work be a distraction? Listen, if you feel that God has told you to be a better spouse or a better parent, but you're not doing that for, at the cause of work, then maybe you need to cut back on work. What's distracting you from your goals? Another question to ask yourself, and this is a big one, am I doing too much? Or another way we've said it around here is do you have enough margin in your schedule to accomplish the goals that you've deemed necessary? Are you doing too much? Do you have too many irons in the fire? Do you have too many things that are going on in your world to be a better parent? Do you have too many things that are going on in your world to be a better man of God? If you want to be a better man of God, but you don't have any time to spend with God because you're busy doing everything else, then maybe you're doing too much. A third, a fourth one that I want to ask you, and this one's even a little bit tougher, is this, consider managing our time. Am I being too lazy? See, there's people out there that do too much that can't accomplish the goals that God gives them. Then there's others, they just don't even have goals. Why? Because they're lazy. They don't have any goals. They don't aim at anything. Are you maximizing your time? Second question that I want you to ask yourself that we see here from Ephesians chapter 5. The first one is, am I making the most of my time? The second question I want to ask you, I want you to ask yourself is this. Am I trying to discern God's will? These are questions that we need to ask ourselves, areas of our life we need to examine to see if we are living wisely. Am I making the most of my time? Wisdom. Am I trying to discern God's will? This is wisdom. Look at what Paul says in Ephesians 5, 17. Don't be fools, but try to figure out what the Lord wants you to do. I think we have a lot of Christians living today that blindly walk through life and have no clue what God has called them to. They see people that have a good marriage. They see people that have, you know, good kids or a good relationship or whatever. But they just blindly walk along because we're not trying to discern what's God want to do in my life. What's God's will for me? What's he want to say? Some translations say, understand what the will of the Lord is for you. Others say, discern what the will of the Lord is for you. The Greek word here for this scripture, discern, understand, figure out. It means to take all the pieces and put them together, all the separate pieces, until you can see a clear picture. It's almost, it really means it's almost like piecing together a puzzle, piece by piece, until you can figure out what the image is that God has for you. Because how many of you know, you don't just wake up one day and be like, I know God's will and I've got the perfect picture. No, what God does for me a lot of times is God will give me a vision a dream, and I'll see the beginning, and I'll see what it's supposed to look like at the end, but he leaves out the middle. And so I have to, in prayer, go to God and take this piece and this piece and have a, a meeting with a Mike Redman and a meeting with a Brandon Freebie and a Steve Ron and start talking to friends. Oh, that piece fits here. Oh, and I, Then I sit down and talk with my wife. Oh, that piece fits here. And then I'm like, okay, there's the picture. And that's what God is telling us to do. Discern what God's will is for you. Listen, you can't discern God's will by sitting at a stoplight and saying, if it turns green now, I'm going to know you want me to do this. 
How many of you have ever done something like that? Be honest. How many of you have ever said, God, if this, be honest, raise your hand and raise it high and be proud. I'll raise both hands and a foot. You know, I mean, I've been, if you turn this light green, I know this is you. <laughs> Oftentimes, just because I'm impatient and I just, I just want to go, you know. Or how many of you have done this? All right. Heads were moving. Tails were staying. All right. Tails. All right, we're going to do best two out of three. <laughs> May, I mean... They know what I'm talking about? Reminds me of a story I read about this guy who was trying to figure out what God wanted him to do. He's like, all right, God, I don't know. So he pulls out his Bible. I mean, I'm not, number one, that's a good first step, pulling out the Bible to figure out what God wants you to do. But how many of you ever tried this method? And have you ever done that? Pointed and read? Well, listen to what this guy, this guy did here. He needed an answer to a major question, so he opens his Bible points and it says and Judas hung himself I mean, no, that's not it <laughs> that's not it not gonna do that one so he's like alright let's do it again let's pull in so he rolls and points again go and do likewise no that's not it and then he does it a third time and it says whatever you do do it quickly how do you know sometimes that's foolishness how do you know just being random and just pointing or if this light turns green or if this coin turns on a, on, a, on a head or a tail? How many of you know that's foolishness? And that's not how we discern God's will, but that's how a lot of us live. We just live by the seat of our pants and hope that God will do something. No, let me tell you how I believe we can discern God's will. I see it all throughout Scripture, but Romans 12, 2 is one of the main places I turn to when I need to understand God's will. Listen to what it says. Stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you. Number one, if you want to discern God's will, stop living and acting like the world. Hello? Let me say it again. I don't think some of you heard me. If you want to understand and discern God's will for your life, stop living and acting like the world. Stop living in sin and saying, God, where are you? Why won't you talk to me? And God's saying, I'm right here, but you're living somewhere that I don't go. If you want to discern God's will, stop acting like the world. And this says, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit. And that's another key. The Holy Spirit is a huge key to all of this. Through a total reformation of how you think. But listen to what it says. So if you stop hanging out with the world, and if you allow the Holy Spirit inside of you, and if you allow Him to transform you from the inside out, listen what it says will happen. Then this will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in His eyes. How do we discern God's will? Stop acting like the world. Stop following the opinions of the world. Stop being swayed by the world. Then allow the Holy Spirit to do something inside you. Allow the Holy Spirit to do something deep in you where it transforms your mind. That's how we discern the will of God. Another way, it doesn't really say, it says, but wise counsel. That's one of the ways we can do that. Third area of our life we have to examine. Number one, am I making the most of my time? Number two, am I discerning God's will? Number three, what is influencing me? What is influencing me? Ephesians 5, 18 and 19. Do not get drunk with wine, which will only ruin you. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Verse 19. Speak to one another with words of psalms, hymns, and sacred songs. Sing hymns, sing hymns and psalms to the Lord with praise in your heart. Beware of what is influencing you. Paul talks of wine here. And I knew this, was a, this is a hot topic. 
especially here in America. This is a hot topic in church. Even more so, right here in Bible Belt, Missouri, this is a hot topic. You go certain places and they have one opinion of drinking, and other places they have another opinion of drinking. So what is the answer to this? Is it a sin to drink? Is it not a sin to drink? Let me give you my opinion, okay? This, you'll hear me. If, I, if I'm giving you my opinion, you can have yours. I'm not saying that there's 100% refutable proof that this is accurate, but I don't believe it's a sin to have a drink in moderation. That's how I believe. How can I say that? Well, what did Paul tell Timothy to do? Have a glass of wine, right? Is that what he said? I mean, that's scriptural. Well, we have to understand also why did he tell him to have a glass of wine. For Timothy, it was health reasons. The water there was impure. And so Timothy, that wine would help to settle his stomach. Well, what did Jesus turn water into? And I know some people say, well, that was grape juice. No, he turned it into wine. It wasn't Mountain Dew. It wasn't Sprite. It was wine. Jesus with his disciples at the Last Supper, they drank wine. So Paul is not saying here in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 and 19, don't have a glass of wine. That's not what he said. But he does very clearly say, don't get drunk. We're talking about things that influence us. We're talking about things that influence us. That's what Paul is talking about here. We, we also know that Jesus and Timothy, they're not getting drunk. They might have had a glass. They might have had a sip. I don't know. I'm just telling you what Scripture says, and, and just hang with me because I know that in, even in this room, I got some people that are saying it's a sin, and some people are saying it's not a sin. I'm just telling you from what I look at from Scripture, this is how I view it. And you can, and you can do with this what you want, but we also know that in Romans chapter 14, Paul says, hey, if your eating or your drinking causes someone to sin, don't do it. Right? So, if you say, well, drinking's okay with me, all right then. But if you're around somebody that's an alcoholic that can't handle it, it's a sin for you to do that. But not just that. If eating too much, if you bring somebody over that has had struggles eating, listen to me, we don't, we don't talk about this in church. We talk about, we talk about drinking, but we don't talk about eating. We don't talk about our bodies. We've just, as the church, that's what I even said last week, I think so often we just want to nitpick sins. I think that's part of the problem in churches. We pick sins that we want to deal with, but then there's other areas where oh, it doesn't convict me, so we don't ever stand up and say anything. So Paul's saying, hey, don't get drunk on wine, but he's also in Romans, he's saying, hey, if, if your eating causes someone to sin, don't do it. Are you going to stop eating? No, we have to be careful how we live. Live as wise, not as unwise. But here in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul speaks very clearly. He doesn't say, don't have a drink, but he does very clearly say, don't get drunk. Very clearly, he says that. Do not get drunk. Do not get drunk on wine. But I also believe, I think there's got to be an underlying message even of what Paul is saying. here. He's saying, be careful what you let influence you. Be careful of the things that you let influence you. Paul's point is that what we allow to influence us will oftentimes change us. And it oftentimes changes us into a different person. So I think what Paul is saying is, hey, alcohol has the potential to influence you and to change you. Don't let that happen. 
But I also think we, I don't think they had television then. I don't think they had social media then. But I think Paul, if he was writing today, he might be saying, hey, social media, don't let it influence you. He might be saying, hey, television channels, that you, you sit there, you won't drink, but you'll watch things on TV that are not godly. And we'll call that okay because well, I don't see anywhere in Scripture that deals with it. No, Paul's saying the things that influence you that have the potential to change you, be careful, live as wise and not as unwise. Is anybody getting this today? Because I, I don't want to just talk about one thing. I think Paul's, I think we have to understand that we can be influenced by the things we watch. We can be influenced by the things we read. We can be influenced by social media. How many of you know the friends, even some that you're sitting around today, can influence you? People can influence. And I know we've got people in this room that are saying, Pastor Chad, I'm my own man. Nothing influences me. Okay. Let's see if we can... Make that stand up. Pastor Chad, I don't let TV, I don't let social media, I don't pay attention to commercials. I fast forward all of them, you know. Tasha and I have been watching Hulu a little bit lately. And I hate it because you can't fast forward the stupid commercials. It's like, what am I doing here? How do I skip this? i got to watch the whole thing. I've watched nationwide commercials about 7,000 times during quarantine. But you people, There's people that say, all right. None of that influences me. Why do you think alcohol, hamburgers, internet, whatever, they spend millions and millions of dollars on advertising? Because they know it influences us. Let's just play a little game. There's these couple of jingles. I want to see if you can complete them to see if you're influenced <laughs> by technology. I am stuck on Band-Aid because... No, things don't influence me. Did you know that that commercial came out in 1976? I don't let things influence me. You just sang a commercial that came out in 1976. I was a year old. Here's another one. The best part of waking up. But I don't let things influence me. Listen to me, this is much more about commercials or jingles, but I did prove a pretty good point right there. But let me say this, everything, everybody say a word with me, say everything. Everything, everything we say, everything we think, everything we let in, or everyone that we allow in our lives, listen to me, they have tremendous potential to influence us for the positive or the negative. Everything that we allow into our life, every person that I allow into my circle, and people say, Pastor Chad, why don't you have a bigger circle? Because I'm cautious. Why don't you watch everything on TV, Pastor Chad? It's okay. Just has a few bad words. No, because I don't want it to influence me. Everything that you allow into your life has the potential. Everyone that you allow into your life has the potential to influence you in a positive or negative way. So here's the question for you today. What or who are you allowing to influence you? Paul tells us don't get drunk on wine. He's clear on that. But we also have this underlying, I believe, message don't let people or substances control you don't let them influence you but rather here's what paul's saying be influenced or more precise he says hey don't be influenced by alcohol don't be influenced by people don't be influenced by social media but here's what i believe he's actually saying he said hey don't allow these things to influence you but rather be filled with the holy spirit it's not just about what i drink or what i eat 
It's about what I'm allowing to influence me that blocks out what the Holy Spirit wants to do in my life. How many know verse 16 told us we live in evil days. And if I'm going to live above those evil days, I've got to allow the Holy Spirit to influence my life. Not television, not social media, not alcohol, not food, not friends. If I'm going to be influenced and be who God has called me to be, if I'm going to live a life that impacts the kingdom of God, I've got to allow the Holy Spirit to fill me up and to do what he wants to do in my life. Ephesians 5.18, don't get drunk with wine, which will only ruin you. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Paul means that rather than being filled with wine or whatever it might be, so to be under that's influence, listen, Christians should be under the influence of the Holy Spirit so that that can be our influence. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is paramount. And the tense for the word be filled the Greek word of that means continually being filled. You see, when I was eight years old, I was filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And I believe in that, and we believe in that in this church. But I didn't just get filled one time. It's not just a one-time thing. It's a continual thing. I've got to continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that doesn't mean be filled with speaking in tongues every time. I mean, you know, the Holy Spirit is more than just speaking in tongues. I think the Holy Spirit has been given a bum rap in the body of Christ, and people say, I don't want him because he's going to make me speak in some weird language. No, that's just one part of who the Holy Spirit is, and it helps us to pray. But the Holy Spirit has faith. He has wisdom. He has knowledge. He has discernment. He has healing. He has gifts. He has mercy. He has giving. There are multiple gifts that the Holy Spirit has. One of the things we can say is the, is the fruits of the Spirit, joy, peace, patience, kindness, love, long-suffering. Those are evidence that I've been filled with the Holy Spirit and none of them have anything to do with am I speaking in another language which I believe in but listen to me Paul is saying as believers we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and influenced by him rather than being infilled and influenced by things of this world is that okay three of you like it all right the Holy Spirit is to impact all areas of our lives and listen I have a whole lot that I want to say about the Holy Spirit and you know what? We're, we've shied away from teaching on that in our church. And we're going to do a series in the new year in 2021. And we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to try to wipe away some of those fears that some of you have. Because I believe you are a stronger believer if you're filled with the Holy Spirit. It's what I believe. It's what I believe. And we want you all to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we're going to teach on that, all right? He goes on to say, verse 19, Speak to another with words of psalms, hymns, and sacred songs. Sing sims, hymns, psalms to the Lord with praise in your heart. The other night, Malik, our six-year-old, he's walking through the house, and he's singing, I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory. And they didn't know some words. Anybody, I'm going to see a victory. And I loved it. Why? Where did he hear that? Yeah, I probably heard it in our house playing on Alexa. He probably heard it in the car with Tasha. You know, generally in my car, it's sports talk radio or sports, you know. I'm the heathen in the family. But Tasha's generally listening to Christian music. But he heard it at church. He heard it back in kids. Listen, I'd rather my kids be influenced by songs like that or encouragement or words from people in the church. I'd rather my kids hear those kind of things and be influenced by that than be influenced by the world. But notice Paul didn't just say, hey, encourage each other with psalms and hymns. He says, also, sing to the Lord. Listen, here's what worship is. Worship is this and this. 
And I hear a lot of people they say, Pastor Chad, I just want to hear the preaching. I know we're that good. But anyway, no, people say, I just come for the preaching. I don't care about the worship. Can I tell you, it's completely, that's opposite of how it should be. Preaching, we're preaching so we can grow a little bit, but worship is for him. John chapter 4, the woman was at the well. Jesus says, hey, the Father is looking for people who will be worshipers. The Bible also tells us if you don't worship, if you don't praise, rocks are going to cry out. Worship is his thing. That's what you do for him. So when we come in, sing to him. But when we also sing out loud, we're blessing each other. And I want to close with this last thought. Number three, what are you allowing to influence you? Number four, the last thing to examine is am I thankful? Am I thankful? Ephesians 5, 20, and this one right here. The rest of these were really good. I got them. Number four, this one's messed with me. It hasn't always, but I'll be honest, it's messed with me a little bit lately. I found myself being a little less thankful and a little more negative. Ephesians 5, 20, Paul says, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, always give thanks to God for everything. For everything? to give you thanks for everything for COVID for the loss of my job for my son that's running from God for everything God surely you don't mean I have to give thanks for everything no the question is am I thankful for all that God has done for me or do I find myself upset and complaining do I find myself disgruntled negative and bitter 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, give thanks in all circumstances. Listen to what it says, though. This takes us back to number two, for this is God's will for your life. If our aim is to live wisely, then it's wise to change our tone from negative, downcast, and woe is me to a tone that is positive, to a tone that is thankful, even if it doesn't make sense. Can I preach into me? Be thankful. Be thankful. I close with this. If you want your life to count for the kingdom of God, then I'm going to challenge you. Pursue godly wisdom. Pursue godly wisdom. Ask yourself, how am I spending my time? Am I trying to discern God's will for my life? What am I allowing to influence me? Culture or the Holy Spirit? Should be the Holy Spirit. Father, I just take a minute here. Man, I acknowledge you, and I can sense your presence in this room. Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can check out the link in the description to give or visit destinychurch.me slash give. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We love you and have a blessed week.